0: All right, you got one and a half of them. I thought we'd just get it all morning long. Just kidding, we are. We're gonna talk about the blessed life today. We're gonna talk about the joy and the excitement that we have as followers of Jesus to be a blessing to others and in return, share the joy and the love that God has given us. Before we get into the message today, I wanna welcome those of you who are online and those of you in the patio. For those of you here today, I'm super excited to take you on a journey for the next six weeks where we are going to spend time in God's Word learning what it means to do practical evangelism in everyday life as we bring the message of the good news about Jesus to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and everybody around us. These next several weeks is all about practical Christian living. But what I want to do today is set the table. I want to lay the foundation for your call to be somebody who brings a good news to the world. I want you to know that the good news changes people's lives. There's evidence of that on stage today. Those white flowers to my left and your right are an indication that several people have come to at least acknowledge their need for Jesus and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus through the influence of our church family. This last week, 19 students at an FCA camp were presented the gospel and with an opportunity to say, would you like to follow Jesus for the first time, they said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Let's praise God for that. Can we do that? There's more than 19 flowers there, though, because two of those flowers in there indicate that last weekend, As we celebrated the resurrection and the hope that it brings to our lives, we had two adults who were given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. They said, for the first time in my life, I'm going to say yes to Jesus and follow him too. Let's praise God for that. Amen? The Christian life is a life that can be filled with joy and blessing. That's the life that God wants us to live It's the life that God wants us to share with the world around us. You know, I don't know about how you feel about sharing the gospel, about how uh, equipped you feel you are, how ready you feel you are, how um, confident you are to sit down and have the conversation with somebody about the gospel. For the next several weeks, we are going to talk a bit about that. But I want to talk to you about just everyday practical things that need to take place in your life and mine in order for us to be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus with others and making a difference in their life. I can remember when I was a youth pastor in training, I took a group of students and we went to the Twin Cities and we were trained in street evangelism. Now, we got all trained up, equipped, went through our sessions, our classes, were given every, the lingo and all of that, and we went out, and they sent us to the streets of Minneapolis. And our goal was to encounter anybody and everybody and ask them if they know Jesus and share Jesus with them. I was so excited, you guys. I just, oh, I was so thrilled. And as I went out and I did this, like my excitement, it didn't grow. It went down. Oh, why? Because the results just wasn't what I expected. I thought everybody would want to hear what I have to say. I thought everybody needed to know what I had to tell them. But as I encountered people and I'd say, you want to hear about Jesus? (laughs) Like, they gave me all kinds of responses, not the ones I wanted. How is it that sharing the good news can feel so bad? Ever thought about that? How is it so awkward sometimes? There is a place for street evangelism, I promise you. And there are people who are really gifted at it. And I praise the Lord for them. In fact, one of our pastors here is a product of street evangelism Pastor Greg. He found a tract laying in a gutter in New Orleans. And he picked it up from somebody who had been doing street evangelism. And as he opened it, he recognized that the hope it shared in there was what he needed. And, and he confessed his sin and repented. He, he came to Christ and from that day forward, his life was in a new trajectory. He was all about Jesus. But maybe street evangelism isn't for everybody. Maybe there's another way. You know, there was two groups of missionaries. They were trained up and sent into Thailand. And they were there for two-year assignment. The first group was sent in to be converters. Walk and talk, as many converts as you can. At the end of two years, they had one. There was another group of missionaries. They were trained and sent into Thailand, another region. And their goal was to be a blessing to people. To make friends. Meet them where they're at and serve them with the needs they had. At the end of two years, 48 converts. Doing evangelism is more than converting people. It's loving people. For who they are, where they are. Meeting them where they're at. Befriending them and helping them come to know Jesus. I want you to know that people are more interested in Jesus than maybe we think. In a recent Gallup poll, 87% of Americans said that they believe in God. Think about that. 87%. That doesn't mean 87% believe in Jesus and that that they're not all Christians. But what it means is that 87% of Americans at least acknowledge there's a God. And you know what they need more than anything? They need a friend to help them find the one true God and his name is Jesus Christ. And my question to you is, will you be that friend? Will you be that friend? If you consider your 10 closest friends or coworkers, eight or nine out of the 10 closest people in your life, are open to spiritual conversations. It's interesting. One in four Christians say that they're curious about Christianity and what it could mean for them. One in four non-Christians is what I meant to say. You heard that, right? When asked... To a younger generation, 20 and 30-somethings, non-Christians, the percentage went from 26% to 36%. One in three, 20 and 30-somethings, are interested in Christianity and what it means for their lives. That's huge. Here's the kicker. 79% of unchurched people agreed with the following statement, I don't mind talking to a friend about their faith if they really value it. What does that tell us? Two things. Within friendship, people are willing to talk about spiritual matters. And one of the things they want to know is how much you actually value it. Barna did a study He asked friends and neighbors what they value in a person with whom they would talk about spiritual matters. And these are the top three things in order. Number one, they want somebody who will listen to them without judgment. As Christians, we have to be willing to listen to people. God gave us two ears and one mouth, and I'm convinced that so we talk less than we listen. The second thing... Non Christians wanted when it comes to talking about spiritual matters is that we would allow them to draw their own conclusions. The third thing that mattered was that they talked with somebody who had confidence in sharing their own perspective. What does that mean? People in our lives who are not Christians, who are our friends and our neighbors are willing to have spiritual conversations. But they want us to listen to them first. They want us to talk with them without judgment. They want to see within us a confidence that we know what we believe and why. That we're not pushy. But that we're willing to befriend them. That's good news. You know Why? Because all throughout the New Testament, we have an example of the person of Jesus who had a nickname. He was a friend of sinners. Why was he so good at reaching people? Well, because he was God. Okay, I get that. But you know why? Because he loved people where they were at. And he was willing to befriend them. Throughout this BLESS series, BLESS is an acronym that stands for we're going to begin with prayer. If we want to befriend people and bless them where they're at, we need to begin with prayer. Think about people you can pray for who need Jesus in their life. We're going to listen with care. We're going to take time to understand where people are at and we're going to care about them. We're going to experience life together. Grab a cup of coffee, go help them with the project at their place, uh, grab a lunch together, share a meal. We're going to serve them with love, meet them where they're at, and and do what we can. And then we're going to share our story when we're given an opportunity for God's glory. B-L-E-S-S. Bless. We're going to learn how to love our neighbors the way Jesus did. I want to help you avoid um, making the good news complicated. Because sharing the good news should simply come from our heart not from a script that we memorized. We need to learn how to avoid the awkward conversations because the gospel is meant to be shared and experienced through everyday rhythms and normal routines of life. We're gonna learn these five simple ways of the blessed life so that we can be a blessing to others. Lastly, we're gonna learn together what God's part is, and what our part is. God is the one who converts people. We don't. We're called to love people and to share the joy and the good news of Jesus. We're called to serve them, listen to them, be their friends. And along the way, watch God work as he changes people's lives. Bless. It's an intentional pathway For people of all ages, both young and old, who are followers of Jesus, to become like Jesus so that we can join with God in the mission of Jesus in this world. Are you ready to journey with me? Amen? Let's pray. God, as we consider today the calling you've placed on our life to go into this world and share the good news of Christ with others. Help us to understand that this calling should be a normal and natural part of our everyday lives. As we open your word now, encourage us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. It was in the final hours of his life that Jesus prayed a prayer, and we read about it in John 17. He was with the disciples in the upper room. They just finished the Last Supper. They left. They were headed to go across the Kidron Valley. They were going to enter a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. But before they got across the Kidron Valley, Jesus took time to teach his disciples. And in John chapter 17, we have the longest prayer known that Jesus prayed, at least in Scripture, And one of the realities of this prayer, what it reveals to us is it reveals that Jesus not only prayed for the disciples of his day, but he prayed for the disciples that would be in the future. That's you and me. The other thing that Jesus prayed during this time reveals to us his heart and what he truly wanted for us as his disciples in this prayer we notice what it is that Jesus is asking God the Father to give to us. And in John 17, 13, it says, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. You know what God wants for you? He wants you to live a life full of joy. He wanted that for his disciples. Then he wants that for his disciples. Now, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then God wants you to experience the fullness of joy he has to offer you. What Jesus is actually saying gets a bit lost in translation. And, and what he really is saying is so that they may have the pleroma of joy. Pleroma in the Greek is a, is a word that describes the fullness In the greater context of this prayer, Jesus is talking about the joy he has because of the the fullness or the oneness he has with the Father and the Spirit and himself as one. The difference between a pleroma of joy and a regular old joy is the difference between a well and a cup of water. Jesus wants you and me as Christians to experience a well a wellspring of life that is within us, filling us, overflowing within us, a pleroma of joy. So how do we do this? The answer might surprise you. Here in John 17, Jesus says that not only does he want us to have this fullness of joy, but he tells us that we can gain it through the word of God that fills us up and through the mission of God that sends us out. Here in John 17, verse 18, it says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. It's simple, yes, but it's powerful. Why? Why did Jesus have so much joy in his life? Because he and the father and the spirit were one. And what did he recognize at the end of his life? He was faithful to the Father, doing the Father's will. And the result of that was joy. The reason Jesus had all this joy was because he was a man on a mission. And you know what God wants for you and me as his people? To be filled with the word of God and to be people who are sent out on mission. Here is Jesus's prayer. 17, chapter 17 of John, verses 13 to 21. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be all one. Just as you and I are one, as you and I are as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Wow. The unity of the body of Christ is one of the ways upon the which the world will see that the message of the gospel is true. We're to be filled up with the word of God, which sanctifies us. And then we're to go out on mission. And when we do all of this, we will experience the pleroma of joy that God is talking about that he wants us to have. If you're taking notes today, point number one is simply this. Joy and mission are intimately connected. Do you ever wonder why your life lacks joy and purpose? May I suggest that maybe, just maybe, You've never found the purpose in your life for being on mission for Jesus. That maybe your lack of joy, your lack of purpose is because your life is all about you. God made us for mission. He called us to something higher than ourselves, greater than ourselves. When we focus on building our kingdom, our lives, when life's all about me, we can never be about God. We need to give up our small ambitions in life, the pursuit of happiness, the fancier cars, the bigger homes, the nice vacations. We need to understand that we were meant for something greater. We were meant to be on mission for Jesus. You're on mission when your comfort, your convenience, and your security become second in your life to a larger cause. You're on mission when someone or something is more important than just your happiness and your needs. You're on mission when you live for a cause more important than yourself, and when you're willing to sacrifice everything, your comfort, your convenience, and your security, for this reason, so that you can make a difference in this world. When we do that, something comes alive in us. If you've ever sacrificed your life to the point that you recognize how God is using you to meet somebody else, something comes alive in you that you almost can't explain. Isn't that true? You recognize it's no longer about me, but God, it's really about you. And how is it that you could use somebody like me to do something significant for you? One of the greatest stumbling blocks for any one of us being used by God is ourselves. It's so important that we're willing to set it all aside. Now, So you don't leave grumpy. I want you to know something. There's nothing wrong with a good career. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with having a nice big house or having fancy vehicles. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. The question is, is, What are you doing with it? And a more important question would be this. What is it doing to you? God wants us to be on mission for him. If the pursuit of your life is happiness, I can assure you of this, you won't be happy. If you are the most significant person in your life, you are going to find throughout your life In the pursuit of being significant, that you're more and more insignificant all the time. If we build our kingdom, we always fall short. But when we join God in mission, we will find that there's something greater than ourselves, and it's living the mission for God. A life on mission, it's not easy. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. God's going to send us to hopeless and helpless people. We're going to have to just give up some things so that we can help somebody else find the joy that we have. Point number two, Jesus saves us for mission. You know, it's true that when we get saved from our sin, we're saved from something, but we're also saved for something. And what we're saved for is to be on mission for Jesus, to share with others the good news of what we have received. If you think that Christianity is a private matter between you and God, then you have not encountered the God of the Bible. Because when you encounter the God of the Bible, you recognize that not only has salvation come to your life, but God does something in you, He sets you apart. He places you simultaneously in a new community. He gives you a new worldview to live out. He gives you a new life. And he expects you to live a new way of life. So that we as messengers of the good news can be effective in this world. It's in God's very nature to send us out. All throughout the Bible, we read of people that God has called, equipped, and sent out. Listen to these two narratives. Isaiah Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who God raised up and sent out. He called him and sent him. Listen to how this goes. The prophet sees God in a vision in the temple, high and lifted up, majestic and holy, and he's terrified. Isaiah says, "It's all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies." Then a seraph takes a coal from the altar, a hot coal, and he places it on the tongue of Isaiah. And Isaiah is immediately forgiven. Then God says, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Isaiah responds. He says, here I am, Lord, send me. Not only is Isaiah healed and forgiven, but God sends him out immediately. If you think that you're inadequate, if you think that you don't know enough about the Bible, if you think that you're not ready to be sent out on mission for God, take this gently, you're wrong. All God needs from you is a willingness to go. And God will give you everything you need along the way. Consider Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Where does the blessed life begin? Right here in Genesis chapter 12. It was always God's intent that the world would come to know him through the blessing of his people. If you are God's people, then you not only are a blessing, but you are to be a blessing to others. It's not always an easy call. When God called Abraham, he said, I want you to leave that which was familiar to you and everything that's comfortable and convenient in your life. And I'm going to give you something new. Something big. Living on mission is rarely comfortable and it's rarely convenient. To be people on mission is to live like Jesus lived. I want you to consider. Jesus says in this prayer, he says, just as you sent me into the world, so I send them. Do you realize what Jesus left to come to earth? The glory of heaven. He's God. He came to earth in the flesh as a servant to live a life we couldn't live. To take upon the sin of the world and then to die a death we deserve to die so that through him we could gain a righteousness that none of us on our own could gain. Jesus gave it all up so that you and I could have life. What Jesus is saying, join me in mission. Follow me. I'm an example to you. Do it like I did. The third thing is that Jesus calls us to join God where he's at work. In the letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. If you are a Christian, I want to remind you that God had you in mind before the creation of the world That when he called you from a life of sin and you responded to him and you said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, he immediately has given you every spiritual blessing and every gift you need to go into the world on mission for him, to reach people, to befriend people, to pray for people, to listen to people, to experience life with people, to to serve people and to share your story so that people can come to know Christ. spite of our weaknesses. God's grace is at work in the world. Remember, it's not our responsibility to convert people. That's what God does. But it's our responsibility to love people, serve people, bless people, befriend people. Being on mission is not an optional call. It's the very essence of God, and he's given it as an assignment to you and to me, each and every one of us. You know, there's a lot of churches today who are trying to fill the pews in the seats. I'm not that concerned about that. I want you to know that as your pastor. What I am concerned about is that when you leave these seats, you're loving people like Jesus in the world. I can assure you of something. If we leave these seats and we love others like Jesus loved us, There isn't enough seats in this building that can hold all of the people that would come. If each one would reach one, we would double overnight. And I'm not concerned about the numbers. What I'm concerned about is your effectiveness as a disciple of Jesus Christ in loving your neighbor. The world's a big place. And we don't need to go to the other side of the world to do mission work. It starts in our living room. It starts in our neighborhood. It goes into our community. And then we can get to the outer parts of the earth. Does your family know you're a Christian? Do you know your neighbors by name? And do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? How about the gym that you work out in? Do people know that you're a believer of Jesus? The restaurants that you frequent, when you leave, do they say, that was a Christian I just encountered. Who knows you're a Christian for students. Do your classmates know that you love Jesus? See, sharing the gospel is simple. It should be a part of our everyday life. It should be how we live, what motivates us, what drives us. The fullness of joy that God gives us. As he sends us out on mission. God's way of reaching and restoring the world has always been through his people and always through the blessed life. The blessed life, may I remind you, it's an intentional pathway for people of all ages who follow Jesus to become like Jesus so that we can join Jesus on mission. And the mission of God is to change the world. Are you willing? Will you join me over the next several weeks? Not only in just receiving and taking in information. That's encouraging, I know. But what I'm asking for is for you to put into practice the very things that I will be teaching you. I promise you, it's not just for you it's for me too. And I can assure you I will lead you by example. I will not ask anything of you that I myself will not do. But I'm going to ask you to do. Because unless we do we won't be on mission for God. These intentional practices they can change the world. Who is it in your life that you need to be praying for? Close connection. Now, I don't want you to get overwhelmed by thinking you have to do this in all areas of your life. Let me compartmentalize it to begin with. Maybe it's at the gym. Maybe it's just at school. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's your one neighbor or two neighbors. Maybe it's in your workplace. Pick one area of your life that you know somebody who needs to know Jesus. Write their name down and pray for them. Be intentional about seeking them out so that you can listen to them. Encourage them to be a part of a cup of coffee conversation or go to lunch. Experience life together, B-L-E. Find out a need in their life and reach out and serve them in some way. Now we're S. And our final S is after you've listened and they're interested in your story, share your story for God's glory. It's not hard. It's practical. It's inconvenient. It's difficult. We're not here to convert people. We're here to make friends. And we're here to be a blessing to others. Remember, the church doesn't exist just for you. It exists for the world so that the world can see Jesus. The unity of the body of Christ active in the world is the representation of the hands and the feet of God at work, loving people. For the next six weeks, join me in being a blessing to somebody. Will you do that? Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your ever-loving kindness for your goodness, for your grace, and for your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes all the difference in our lives. Lord, as we're brought to a place today of understanding that, God, through your Son, Jesus, you prayed for us as, as disciples of you, God, that we would be one, unified, and Heart, mind, and soul, that we would experience the fullness of joy that can come in knowing you. God, that this, this joy and, and mission, that they're connected, that we're called to be on mission, and that we're called to join you where you're at work, letting you do the converting, letting us do the loving. Help us to put into practice every day these simple practices of the blessed life so that we can make a difference and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.